0: Potential sponsors, my name is James Baca, also known as The Notorious Banker. I am the host, creator, and proprietor of The Notorious Banker Project. I'm also a consumer advocate who helps customers solve complex financial issues. I would love to have you as a sponsor of my content. The Notorious Banker has a critically acclaimed podcast of the same name, listened to by 10,000 people an episode, and we also have a very active Twitter community with thousands of posts monthly, creating millions of impressions and engagement per month. Also, a burgeoning young adult fan base on TikTok at Notorious Banker with 5,700 loyal followers and growing. I am looking for a dedicated sponsor who will help my project grow and will also let me be a loyal advocate for your company or product. 13 years in a financial institution has given me sales skills, which will help me promote your company as I continue my journey into bettering financial lives. Ad packages are as affordable as $10 cost per mil, which includes cross promotion on my social media channels, podcasts, and any direct promotion desired by you. Please contact me at james at com or go to thenotoriousbanker.com slash sponsorship for more details. Let's enlighten the amazing follower base of The Notorious Banker with your product, my podcast, and our goal to better our followers' financial lives. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to The Notorious Banker podcast. 3,100 plus amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, dozens more at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, Where for as little as a $1 contribution, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight for our followers and listeners against big banks. And 5,700 amazing followers at Notorious Banker on TikTok. Guys, once again, thank you so very much for your love and support. I really do appreciate it. And thank you so much for your contributions. It really does mean a lot to me. A couple days ago on Twitter, I announced that I was going to do another food drive and um, the Notorious Banker summer cereal stimulus started kind of out of nowhere. I know it's kind of weird, summer cereal stimulus, but let me explain. Um, I'm an extreme couponer, I've been for a long time, and one of the things that I love to do is give back um, to family, to friends, and to my community anytime I get a good deal on something or anytime I figure out how to coupon effectively. There's been some pretty good deals on breakfast cereal and a couple of contributions from some amazing listeners. And I had a little money to go ahead and go crazy with couponing. And I ended up with dozens of boxes of breakfast cereal. And one of the things that I wanted to mention was, as a kid, growing up with not a lot of money, it was hard. You know, it was hard times after my parents divorced. Uh, There were times where I didn't get to eat breakfast at home. There were times where I um, was thankful to even go to school for lunch. And about fourth or fifth grade, they actually started a breakfast program at my public school that I went to and I was thankful for that because I was able to eat. Um, I've been there through welfare and food stamps, times are lean, so breakfast wasn't always a given. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, so doctors say and so, everyone does say. And I really do believe that. I really do believe that it helps your mental clarity. It makes you kind of focus, especially when you're in the school setting. And because of the, the weird nature of scheduling when I worked in banking for 13 years, I didn't get a chance to eat breakfast all the time. So breakfast was at a premium. If I was allowed to go into work at nine forty five, ten fifteen, or even noon, I was able to have a nice breakfast, sit down, watch a little TV, and relax before I went in for my three-quarters of a day or half day. And I kicked ass during that time. What can I tell you? Uh, but people aren't so fortunate to do that, and times are still tight now with the, the pandemic and everything There are people still hurting for food and i saw that at the the food shelter that i went to the food pantry i went to about a month ago and it's amazing it's astounding how many people are still in need so i want to give back to that this one's kind of more specific so what i'm doing is i'm purchasing breakfast cereal buying a little bit of milk milk's a little bit more expensive i don't have that much money uh, but I'd welcome any contributions to my Patreon or to my Cash App or Venmo at the banker dude, and I'll gladly buy some milk for those amazing people. Uh, they do get a lot of contributions from Walmart and a lot of grocery stores, so, milk is going to be in demand at that place and, and in supply, I should say. So, I'm not really too worried about that. But I'm going to donate these boxes with the intent that anyone that says that they have kids, that they're going to be able to get breakfast cereal. Because there's nothing like you know waking up in the morning when you're a kid, especially during summer break, especially when you don't got anything to do right, and getting a nice breakfast you know, at home. Get to relax in your own kitchen table or on your couch. I know my mom hated me to eat cereal on the couch because I'd inevitably spill it and um there's nothing there's nothing that beats that what can i say and there's so many amazing free lunch programs here in las cruces new mexico and i really know that those people are doing the best that they can to give to their community as well and there will be a time where i'm going to be able to give back to that but the summer cereal stimulus is on for the notorious banker so if you want to contribute to my charitable um project here you can go to patreon.com notoriousbanker Cash App or Venmo me at the banker dude, or reach out to me via DM on Twitter at BankBetterGuy, and we'll figure out a way to get that done. I do plan on making my first charitable donation of these boxes of cereal on this coming Wednesday, on the 16th, if I'm not mistaken, of what that is of June, and we'll have some pictures. I'll talk about it a little bit more in a few days. But I wanted to thank you guys for the contributions because it really does mean a lot to me. This episode is going to be a little bit reformatted because there's a couple of things that I've been meaning to do. Um, Especially with this podcast as well. Of course, you know, we talk about unethical banking and how um, unethical banking has impacted, you know, millions upon millions of bank customers and Americans um, throughout this COVID-19 pandemic and, you know, beyond that from 2008 on, hell, even before that. Um, We're always going to talk about that. First and foremost, that is what we're about. Um, but, you know, there's so many people on Twitter at Bank Better Guy that reach out to me and they ask me just general questions. You know, I run into a lot of people in the last six months who they're like, well, you know, I want to save up to buy a PS5 or I want to save up to buy these Yeezy shoes. You know, I'm not big on sneakers. I'm not big on $200, 300 sneakers. That's a, you know, that's an investment that I just don't want to do. I'm the 30 to $40 variety. And I really think that uh, when people ask those questions like what's the best way to save, what's the best way to do this, what's the best way to do that, that's my wheelhouse. The notorious banker is good at talking about bad banks, but I'm also good at figuring out how to stretch money because I grew up poor. I grew up with not a lot, and there was a point in time when I was 15 years old where my mom pretty much said, you're on your own. I was kind of a truant kid. I was kind of a troublemaker. So she didn't want to kind of feed into that to be an enabler, if you will. So I had to work hard and I did so many odd jobs. I did so many things, even online in order to make a buck. I sold baseball cards. I sold all this memorabilia that I collected. I sold, you know, customized artwork. I had um, a couple of movie scripts from the Godfather, um, the Sopranos TV show, among other things. And these were facsimile scripts, you know. It wasn't the original that I had, but people were just interested in owning something unique like that. So I would have copies of the Godfather script, and I bought it for $50, and I would charge $20 anytime someone would want a copy of the script. That way they could show their friends. It's like, "Oh, look what I got. I got movie memorabilia. And I would run that off, and people would just be in love with it. They would frame it, and they know that it's not an original because the originals have notes, and the originals are worth tens of thousands of dollars. But they really love those movies, they really love those TV shows, and they wanted to be a part of it. I figured that out. As a person who is well-versed in banking, I was well-versed in marketing and sales from the time I was 15 years old. So I I found a way to make a buck, that way I can put food on my table. And of course, getting into my early to mid-20s, before I started working at the bank, um, being a college student, just trying to find ways to actually make any amount of money at any given time, and I did. And then when I started working at Bank of America in 2005, I was 22, I had so much time and energy to to work as much as I possibly could, even though I was a part-time employee, and I still found ways to make extra money. I saved a good amount of money as I finished up school and as I moved on to a new chapter of my life living here in southern New Mexico. So I found ways. And I still do those ways to this day. So um, after this brief promotional consideration, I'm going to get into a little bit more about why I want to do this question and answer session with my listeners and followers about what they can afford, about things that they can do in order to make things easier for themselves, especially when they want something. You know, because, you know, during these crazy times, we got to pay our bills. But, you know, human nature says I need to buy a new car. Human nature says I want to buy some new clothes because I want to look good. Human nature says I want to eat at Applebee's every Friday because, damn it, I deserve it. I'm going to teach you a little bit more about me in the next segment. And then after that, I'm going to do a segment about a Bloomberg article that I read um, about a week and a half ago. It was actually two weeks ago. It was prior to the passing of my niece, where we're talking about mortgage bankers at Bank of America, a place I I um, hold near and dear to my heart, year anniversary of me buying this home with my wife, an amazing home that I'm still in awe of to this day. Mortgage bankers at Bank of America are leaving; they're quitting Bank of America due to these crazy sales quotas. Deal, you know, due to everything that's happening at Bank of America post COVID. In the third segment i'm going to talk about why that's not a big shock to me and secondarily that's something that i did years ago and it's funny to me that these people these mortgage bankers who were selling million dollar houses can't hack what the average personal banker at a banking center in a small town was doing years and years ago so we got a lot to talk about a lot of good and a lot of crazy stuff at the banks uh, but once again for the summer serial stimulus the notorious bankers charitable drive Patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker, Cash App or Venmo at the banker Dude, or reach out to me on Twitter at BankBetterGuy. Let's donate some cereal to the amazing kids of Southern New Mexico. I'll be right back right after this. Hey everyone, it's James Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on Patreon. Yes, it's the second anniversary of Patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker. For as little as a one dollar subscription you can help me the notorious banker fight back against big banks well how do i do that i use my brand of vigilante customer service to help people recoup monthly maintenance and overdraft fees deal with customer service issues such as check hold releases and fraud claim reversals and the general customer service malaise that is the big banking industry banks like bank of america chase city and wells fargo Um, have big bank mindsets but very small minded customer service skills. The Notorious Banker fights back against that. With a subscription for as little as $1 a month, you could help me, The Notorious Banker, fight on behalf of the little guy who don't realize that they have a chance to fight back against big banks if given the opportunity. Go to Patreon.com slash banker for more information about me, more information about what I do, and to subscribe today to my Patreon. You'll also get additional podcast and video content, among other things, with that subscription as well. And I thank you so much for contributing, and my customers and my clients, my followers, my listeners, thank you too. Hey everyone, I'm back with more Notorious Banker. So as a lot of you know the last 2 weeks have been very difficult for yours truly. Um I lost my niece 2 weeks ago as of the recording of this podcast uh May 30 May 30th and it was just it's been a hard couple of weeks. I got to tell you it was hard to focus with work, it was hard to focus with just life in general and I think losing a family member, especially one that's 3 years old is definitely difficult. And you know what? I I think of my brother and sister-in-law and my other niece every single day. And how they're trying to be stronger in this horrible event that happened. And, you know, one of the interesting things that that my late niece taught me and my other late niece, because they were twins, um, taught me in the last three and a half years is prioritize things. You know, put things into perspective. What things are really important to you in life? Paying the bills are an important part of life. You know, some people just don't like to pay them, but some people have to pay them in order to just function, in order to live the best life that they possibly can. There's a tab that comes with that. And, okay, so here's The Notorious Banker, yours truly. I've been out of the banking game for almost three years now, I I don't starve. In fact, I'm 300 pounds. I'm, I, I eat quite well. <laughs> I lift weights. I am healthy. I'm athletic to an, an extent, although my wife would say otherwise because I'm always complaining about how sore I am. But I find a way. We have not missed one mortgage payment despite the pandemic and despite the fact that I haven't had um, employment in a, in a financial setting in three years. I'm self-employed and I work damn hard to make sure that I can continue to be self-employed. Find ways to coupon. I find ways to cut costs. We wanted to go to Vegas um, six months after I was unemployed. I found a hotel for five nights for free. I set a budget of $500 gambling and $100 in food, and we had the time of our lives. We made that stretch, and I won a little bit with gambling, and guess what? We got to stretch some more. Life can be good if you really work hard at it. Now, I'm the opposite of my mother. My mother is an amazing person, but um My wife went to Walmart with her, Uh, it was was a few weeks ago, whenever my mom was here, and she was just floored at how my mom shops. My mom just gets things off the rack. It's like, oh, you like that shirt? Get two of them. She doesn't look at the price. She's like, you know, I just want to buy it because I can. She's the type of person, if she was a billionaire, she'd be like these billionaires now that aren't going to leave billions of dollars to their kids. They're giving it to charity. Although my mom probably wouldn't give to charity, she would probably spend it on herself. And that's not a selfish thing because she worked hard for every cent that she had. But she doesn't look at prices. She doesn't look at her budget relative to what she wants to get. She just goes and does it. And, you know, as a banker, that just scares the hell out of me. That's the wrong way to do it. And I've learned a lot of life lessons from seeing how she struggled up to and including the foreclosure of her house ten years ago by my former company Bank of America. so I've learned a lot of life lessons from my mom that weren't necessarily pretty at all times. but you know, getting back to what happened a couple of weeks ago um with my niece passing, it did put a lot of things into perspective, which is you know my relationship with family it's it's a lot stronger than it ever was, and having the having an adult conversation with my brother was something that we hadn't had in a long time. And driving down the, the 101 freeway in Phoenix, and I'm not breaking any confidences here because he knows that financial advice is what I'm good at. You know, we're just driving down the road, and we're talking about bills. We're talking about the money that is spent for hospital bills. And um, they had a, a, a van for my for my niece because she has special needs for her wheelchair. They needed that stuff, and it's expensive. You know, you have diapers. You have You know, medicine that has to be purchased. You have all these adaptive clothes. If you've ever looked at the adaptive clothing section on Kohl's.com, it's expensive stuff. There's no hand-me-downs. There's no second-hand store for that stuff. It gets really expensive for adaptive clothing or adaptive anything, for that matter. You know, there was iPads that way she can um, do her education. Even though she wasn't going in a school setting, they still want her to learn. They still want her to experience things, so they did that. I don't know how my brother did it. I don't know how my sister-in-law did it, but they did it. And they did it because they loved my niece, they loved their family, and they're gonna work damn hard to do that. And I respect the hell out of that. I don't have a family of my own in that way. So I don't know what it's like to just be 100% I'm gonna give to my kid because I love my kid. I look at things practically. I look at things through the, the scope of, can you really afford it? Or even if you can afford it, should you spend that money on there? and they they aren't without they have a beautiful house arguably just as nice a house as i have you know and they uh, my brother works for a major um electronic company i'll just say it that way we all have the phones that this major company makes and i gotta tell you they all have the electronics they have all the gadgets that this company makes and that's fine i don't begrudge them that because you know what i use these electronics for my business so i know they're an important part of day-to-day life You know, and you don't go to someone who has, you know, money issues or, you know, like they have a a child who is expensive. They have responsibilities that are pricey, but you don't complain about, oh, why do you guys have Dr. Pepper in your fridge? You should have Dr. Thunder that's made by Walmart and Sam's Club. No, there's some things that just have to be. And, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, having a pack of smokes, having a pack of Marlboro Reds, And you roll it up in your shirt sleeve the way that my dad used to do was an important part of life. It's like, man, I don't got money, but I got my smokes. Well, it's 2020, and we don't think like that anymore. At least 99% of the world doesn't think that way anymore. But at the same time, we still want to enjoy the things that we enjoy. Occasionally, I like to go to Burger King. Occasionally, I like to go to McDonald's. But because of the nature of my self-employment and how, how, how much money I put in to my project and how little money I get back at times... I don't go out to eat every day. I wouldn't want to, but I don't, you know, and when I do go out to eat, I look to see if there's any coupons on the app. That's just the way that I am. I find a way to adjust. I find a way to just figure out how can I enjoy at least partially what I want from this place without breaking my bank. And I've done that when I was 15 years old. I did that when I was 20, 25, 30, 35, and now at 38 years old. So getting back to my conversation with my brother, you know, we're talking about the cost of this vehicle and you know it's for a van it's pretty awesome. Has all the bells and whistles, it has the interactive uh turn by turn direction screen in the middle. You know, of course you could you know hook it up to your phone, you could hook it up to satellite radio, it has automatic side doors, dual side doors, and you know the the backup camera and the whole nine. That stuff is amazing. That stuff is awesome. But then when I found out how much his monthly car payment was, it blew my mind because that's really close to what my house payment is. And yes, I understand cars are more expensive these days and you know, having a $1,000 car payment is actually reality for a lot of people. But, you know, it doesn't have to be this way to get all the bells and whistles. A $1,000 monthly payment for 72 months is $72,000. You amortize that with interest and everything. You can probably, over six years, get, you know, a fifty-five dollars to $60,000 car relatively easy. Most people pay that much because they have shitty credit, and it ends up that they have to pay more in interest. But if you have good credit and you have, you know... good relationship with the car dealer and you get a sweetheart deal with a lender in order to get a car dude you can buy a tesla for a thousand dollars a month and you can just plug it in never have to worry about putting three dollar gas or four dollar gas ever again and just drive around the city on electricity and you have all the bells and whistles you have the auto driving mode and everything you have all these cool things that the, the future has brought us and for just a little bit more effort you're able to do that what i'm getting at is the the cost that my brother was paying for this vehicle blew my mind and i told him well if you want all the things that come with this car now and you don't need obviously a bigger car anymore because unfortunately what happened guess what you can downsize you can get a car that's just as amazing for half the price my wife is paying 280 dollars a month for her awesome volkswagen jetta with the exception of turn-by-turn directions and satellite radio it has all the bells and whistles a new car has and if she got the bells and whistles it cost maybe 10 15 more a month you know we didn't think that that was an option at that time otherwise we probably would have got it but it you know she took care of her credit she took care of her debt to income and she was able to do that and Knowing what my wife is paying per month, knowing what my customers at Bank of America would pay per month for vehicles, and how that impacted their budget to go eat, to buy groceries and all that stuff. Dude, I'm a sponge. I can I can t- tell you experiences where I didn't think people could hack it just based on experiences I saw through my clients and through just talking to people throughout life. I learned about credit card debt through my grandmother at 10 years old, and I learned how to fix it at 19 before I started working at the bank. So I told my brother, I said, if you want a car and you want something just as awesome, look, work hard, you found a way to get this car, now find a way to get something just as good for half the price, save yourself money. You know, this is the time where you gotta take care of yourself and you gotta make sure things are improved for your wife and for your and for your daughter at this point in order to make sure that life is going to be peachy going forward because it has been hard hospital bills are crazy dealing with insurance companies it's crap all the things that they had to go through I just I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy but my brother did it with with poison grace my sister-in-law did it with poison grace and they were able to do it so I know how to have these conversations and make them real without being able to to lie to you and have a sales element to it, and that's the thing that's kind of gritty with me is you know, whenever someone would have an issue with um with a financial issue, it's like oh man, I just blew my transmission in my car again. Well, you know, Mr. Chavez, you actually have a $5,000 pre-selected card from Bank of America with 0% interest for 12 months. So yes, you're going to have to fix your transmission eventually. So I'll tell you what, get this card. I'm going to show you what to do. That way you can move some cash value from the card into your account. Pay yourself back over the course of 12 months. You will never pay us a penny in interest. Consider it a structured loan payment. Don't even consider it a credit card. In fact, once you pay to fix your car... Cut up that credit card in half and don't even think about it. Just pay us back, and then within a year, you'll be at zero. I hated that part of working at a big bank. I hated that part with a passion, but I knew that that was the best way to get this guy from not freaking out. I'm Like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? He can take care of this car problem with a practical piece of plastic that I was able to offer him, but I sold it to him, not as a card. Hey, you can go to Target. You can go buy groceries and all this stuff it was a cash back rewards card he wasn't worried about that shit at that point this is like you know what get this card take care of your issue and then your issue can be stretched out over the course of a year you'll get your income tax maybe you'll get a scratch off lottery ticket and win a thousand dollars you never know but you're giving yourself time and that's what you need now is time because my car broke down i had a bunch of shitty vehicles throughout my whole life i still do I know what it's like to have a $400 card bill, you know, $500 bill, $600. I've had a $2,000 bill on my vehicles before. It's expensive and it sucks. So I knew how to put it on cards, figure it out, saying, okay, if I pay $25 a month or $25 a check, I'll be done in this amount of time. I was young. I still am young. I know things are going to take time to pay off. I figured it out. That's why I was number one in sales working at a big bank because I sold customers I didn't sell them excessively, although, you know, I can say some parts of it I did feel were excessive at the time, but I sold them effectively. I made sure that the things that they got were the things that they need and I was able to get it done. So I love that part of working at a bank. I loved giving advice on just general stuff. You know, let me tell you a couple of quick stories of how I survived my teenage and early adult youth. I already told you the story about the movie script thing in the first segment. Second um, story, funny enough, was I wanted facial piercings. I wanted body piercings. I wanted to be this heavy metal dude that I thought that I was. And I was at the time. You know, I didn't want tattoos. I had all the, the heavy metal shirts and the baggy pants and the nine. But I wanted, you know, eyebrow piercings, nose piercings, my nipples pierced. I wanted all this stuff to be to be an alternative rocker, a metal rocker. To be this guy that you would be looking at twice whenever he walked into Walmart. And I wanted that so bad. But I didn't want to spend my money on it. So, um, I was 19 years old. My cousin, who's like the second brother to me, actually had a job training here in Las Cruces, New Mexico, my hometown, for um, a place called Tresco. And uh, Tresco is a place that kind of gives people who with special needs jobs... And a lot of the jobs are, you know, food service. A lot of them work at rest areas on the interstate. They help, you know, clean toilets and fix, you know, bathroom stalls and paint walls and, you know, sweep up sidewalks and stuff like that. It's hard work. Don't get me wrong, but it's an honest job. And especially for people who want and need a job, that was the place for them, especially other places that wouldn't hire them. My cousin was able-bodied, he's a big dude, so they wanted him for physical labor, so he had to do you know, CPR training and, and the like down here. So they gave him two weeks of paid training, and they put him up in a Best Western hotel room. The Best Western hotel room that we went to now is like an America's value-in, and I don't mean to poop on a potential sponsor, but it's not the Best Western anymore. In fact, it's kind of scary at that hotel right now. But it was nice, you know, 18 years ago or whatever. So um, he was afraid to go by himself, so he invited me. I didn't have a job at the time, nor was I going to school. And he said, yeah, just drop me off, and then you can go walk the mall, you can go to Walmart or whatever, and have a good time. And, yeah, I, I was able to, to do that. I dropped him off. I was able to go shopping. I was able to experience this town that I would inevitably live in. And I was able to do it because he he was nice enough to put me in a hotel room, well, in the same hotel room as him, he, he allowed me to be with him and eat his continental breakfast and all that stuff. And I just figured out, well, I have so much time on my hands and I'm going to be here for two weeks. What do I do? And I picked up an alternative newspaper. I forget what it was called here in Las Cruces. I don't think they have it anymore. And I was just flipping through the ads and it said, donate plasma and make $150 on your first six donations or something like that. And it was for um, a plasma company that's no longer in existence over here. And I just was thinking about it. I'm like, well, I want to get these piercings done. And I'm probably never going to donate plasma again. And it says it only takes a couple of hours. Um, I don't have to pick up my cousin for a couple of hours. What the hell? Let's get it done. So I go to this plasma place and I sign up. They you know, go through the little physical thing. They asked me, you know, a couple screening questions and and all this stuff. And, you know, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, When I gave them my driver's license information, that was something else. though. I gave my driver's license information. And, um, of course, it said Socorro, New Mexico, my hometown at the time. And basically, they said that I was out of their range, out of their zone, because my address was more than 150 miles away from their center (laughs) that I couldn't donate. And they were going off uh, a generic web search of, hey, this is what Socorro de Las Cruces is. It was like 151.6 miles. It was something ridiculously over the limit that they didn't want to override. And I successfully argued, the manager at the time there, I said, why don't you go to a MapQuest? That's how long ago this was, MapQuest.com and type in my address, this is my address, and then type in the address of this place, and I said, I guarantee you it's under 150 miles, because the sign right outside this town says 144 miles, and I know damn well that it's not 7 miles from that sign to this place. I was being kind of rude, I was being kind of an a-hole about it, but I knew that I was right, and this was pre-GPS, pre-Apple Maps, you know, all this stuff, ways, all this stuff that we use now, and they break out the internet, and they type in my my mom's address the one that was on my license to their center and it was under 150 miles and i got to freaking donate i got that cash i kept that cash in my pocket for a month and a half until i got all my piercings that is a true story cinco de mayo 2003 i got a ton of piercings i did what i wanted and i used the plasma donation for that because i didn't want to use my money my graduation money all this other money that i was doing hustling selling my baseball card collection Passive income and secondary income is something that I believe in. Passive income and secondary income is something that I think a lot of people can do and should do, but they just won't do it. And um, Something as simple as donating plasma is something that I still do to this day, and I do it pretty regularly. In fact, I've only missed, I believe, two scheduled donations in the last two and a half years that I've been doing it, and both of them were as a result of deaths in my family, unfortunately. Um, but I'm pretty good at showing up when I'm supposed to. I never missed a day at work. Last six and a half years I was at work. I never missed a day. I'm pretty reliable when it comes to that. but that also means I'm a thinker. I'm trying to think you know two steps ahead of everyone. So Wednesday mornings at one in the morning, I'm loading up the grocery store app to see what the new weekly ads are to see what the coupons are on the ads and I break down exactly how much I intend on spending grocery shopping just by looking at that app that's the way that I think and anytime I go to someone's birthday party or some go to someone's I went to someone's quinceanera that's their age 15 birthday for you non-hispanic people out there um I would see the food that they were serving a lot of times they would have you know like a like a taco bar or like a burger bar you know get your barbecued burger or hot dog or whatever and then they would have chips did they have ruffles did they have doritos or did they have the store brand chips and What kind of drinks did they have? They just got um, store brand fruit punch. Oh, they have Coca Cola. They have Dr Pepper and Sprite. Cool. They actually went out and spent some money. And then immediately in my head, I thought about, it. well, I wonder how much money they spent on this stuff and how much I could have saved them. They said, Hey James, let's figure out a way to save some money for this quinceanera because I don't have a lot of it. And the cost to book this this hall, this dance hall, cost this much. We had a live band. We had to put a dance floor on here. And then, of course, my my daughter wanted a suit, a new dress, and I wanted a suit, and my wife wanted a new dress. Help me save some money. Dude, if people came to me, not with party planning. I don't know how to buy chairs and rent chairs and all that crap. But if you say, hey, you're going to have brisket dinner? I bet you I can find you a deal on brisket. Let me figure it out. And I'll spend the time. I probably won't spend as much time as you would looking for a deal, and I'll still save you hundreds of dollars over the course of a year. So what I'm getting at is The Notorious Banker, this project that I'm doing, came as a result of me knowing that I had a, a gift, a skill. I had something that I was able to do that was different than other bankers because other bankers are focused on their goal. And don't get me wrong. I was focused on my sales goal. I was focused on making a shit ton of money, making as much money as possible in the shortest amount of time I can. And shame on you if you're a banker and you don't think that. And shame on you if you're anyone and don't think that. If you're a bartender and you go like, oh, I only made $50 in tips. Well, aside from the fact that it's dead, think about why you couldn't make more. Could you be more conversational? Were you combative or were you kind of aloof to the customers? That shit does matter in that type of field. I sat in a restaurant and bar for the better part of my childhood. I saw how good customer service was and how good customer service wasn't by seeing my mom, by seeing my family members who worked there and seeing other people who worked there. I knew how to kind of figure it out. I knew how not to get yelled at when I worked at the bank. So which meant I knew how to make sure that the customer left, not with satisfaction, but with the fact that they felt closure or they felt like they got done what they need to get done. And that's what I was good at doing. I knew I had this skill, and I knew I had good customer service chops. And The Notorious Banker was giving people the advice on how to fight back against big banks anytime they got charged an overdraft fee or anytime something happened in the bank's favor that shouldn't have happened, and that's what I do for a living. But I want to expand that out as well. And with this podcast, if you um, you know, will begrudge me a 10-minute segment on every podcast, I want to answer email questions uh, from my listeners For my followers, um, james at thenotoriousbanker.com or thenotoriousbanker at gmail.com, send a question saying, hey, James, I really want to buy a 60-inch TV. This is my budget, and this is what I make a month. Should I spend this money that's in my savings account to do this or what? I want to be able to answer that question for you because you're going to get your TV anyway, but I want to make sure that you find the best way ...to make it work for you. The best way that it doesn't cost you a lot of money up front... ...or it doesn't impact other things you want to do as well. You know, the game of life is more than just a board game. The game of life is actually a game. And if you know how to work the game... ...you know how to play the game correctly... ...even if you're in crippling debt... ...you can still live the life that you want to. I have credit card debt. I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm not going to lie to you and say... I'm a perfect human being because I'm not I owe a lot of money to credit cards and it's because of a crazy um, early adulthood all the way up till you know late 20s I would say I didn't think necessarily about the future so much and the credit card companies kept on giving me crazy limits I decided to splurge I went to Vegas anytime I took out girls before I met my wife I would take them to a nice dinner and a movie and that shit gets expensive. So yeah, pot calling kettle black, but the pot also had a nice shine on him from years of bank training and years of financial advice for people who didn't have a lot of money. I didn't deal with millionaires and billionaires at Bank of America. I dealt with people who worked hard and got a $200 weekly paycheck or $1,000 every two weeks. $1,000 every two weeks still isn't a lot of money. But I I showed them a way. I showed them how not to be afraid of it. I showed them that, hey, one, let me show you how to make sure that we don't charge you anything. And two, let me show you how to do things a little better. And I would would talk to them about these things. I would see gym memberships for a lot of the national gyms. And we know what I'm talking about. Planet Fitness, uh, Gold's Gym, Crunch fitness. I love these places. I lift weights. I'm I'm a big guy. I enjoy being in the gym. I am a gym rat. Um but I would see Planet Fitness twenty four ninety-five a month charges. And I would say, Hey, do you go to Planet you go to Planet Fitness, I see? You know, and I would just kind of like say, Hey, quick question. Um, you know, I have a black card too. I have it just like you. Um, do you use their services? Do you go to those um tanning beds or do you use the total body enhancement machine? Or, or do you go in the lounge to watch TV in there? Or uh, back when they had it up until like six, seven years ago, they had haircuts at Planet Fitness. Um, do you ever get your haircut over there? No, I, I've, I didn't even know that they had haircuts. And I would say, you know, why do you have this twenty four ninety five membership? Do you go with friends or family? No, man, I like to go by myself. Why do you have the twenty four ninety five a month? Um, you know membership over there plan to finish the black card it's it's a way of upselling you i said i'm a banker i upsell you and i can find a way to give you a credit card that maybe you don't need to have in your pocket now but i don't do that because that's just not the way that i roll but someone over there said hey you should have that because you might take a family member or because you may want to tan or because you want to get your hair cut or because you want to save 20% off at Reebok. I just saw that on my app, by the way. Save 20% off on Reebok.com. 20% is nothing. 20% is not even a sell, in my opinion. So they sold you on that notion. They're charging you $15 more a month for this membership. Go to them and say, I want a regular membership. They'll give you a different card, and there's not a lot of difference other than you can't use your um, gym membership at other locations in the u.s and if you don't travel then why do you need that i just saved you 180 dollars now you think about that 180 dollars a year all of a sudden that 180 dollars a year can pay for you know a couple of pairs of pants three pairs of pants four pairs of pants for someone they can buy some nice shoes they can they can hey i i can get that that part of my car fixed or you know what? I have this damn dentist bill that I need to pay off. You saved me $180. I'm just gonna pay it off, and I know that that money is gonna balance out at the end of the year. Thank you, James. Those type of things are awesome because that's what a banker should do. That's what a Bank of America banker should do, a Wells Fargo banker should do, and a lot of them don't do that. And the people who do do that, such as yours truly, get in trouble because they're said, "Hey, you're this is a sales center. Did you offer them this? Did you offer them that? No." What are you doing here, James? What are you doing here, Bob? And they would hear that. I'm like, well, I'm a banker. I'm supposed to be a financial advisor. This place is called a financial center, and I'm called a relationship manager. I am supposed to manage the relationship of the bank to my client. And you know what? A banker should be able to give financial advice, right? Well, wrong when you work at big banks. So my company didn't like that about me, but my wife loves that about me my wife sees how i work at saving money in the groceries grocery store seeing how i worked hard to always find a better way to save money on vacations and we went on a lot of vacations pre-pandemic we got married in vegas we invited you know 25 of our closest friends and family they did not pay $1 to stay at any hotel in Vegas. Not because I'm rich, not because I splurge, because I figured out a way to get hotel rooms for free and every single one of them got to stay in a hotel room in Vegas on the weekend for free. I worked hard to do research. And banking and financial advice goes beyond, hey, this is the checking account you should get. Or this is the credit card you should get. Oh, you can earn so many rewards on this card. Now, there's a million people who do that online online. There's places like, you know, NerdWallet and all these places. And you know what? Frankly, and I, I'm saying this myself because I've had sponsorships with banks as well. They have sponsorships banks too. They have affiliations with them. They make money anytime they send people over to XYZ Bank. And that's perfectly fine. Those are referrals. I'm used to that in banking. But guess what? That's not a practical way of giving people financial advice when you have a vested interest in what they get. I don't have a vested interest in where you bank at. I still bank at Bank of America, and you still can bank at Bank of America or Wells Fargo yourself. I'm not going to be grudgy that, but I'm going to teach you how to bank effectively. I'm going to teach you make sure how they don't impact the way that you look at your money and see money kind of come and go in weird ways that even you can't understand. I'm not going to say, hey, don't do that. I'm going to say, it's probably best for you not to go to that bank, but I understand why you need to be there. And there were reasons why people needed to bank at certain places when I worked at certain places. Financial advice is important to the average person because they don't get that. Most places don't offer that financial advice that the notorious banker gives. I could tell you, most parents don't do that. You know, like, you know, we're worried about, like, Parents giving kids like the sex talk at 15, 16 years old to make sure that they don't become teen parents and live a life of poverty and stuff like that. Shit like that happens all the time, even with rich folks. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about money. You know, like, well, you know, you got to get a summer job in order to pay for your tuition and this and that. That's fake talk. You know, for a lot of people, they don't go to college. For a lot of people, they don't even go to a trade school. They get out of high school and they get a job. That's half the people in my state right there. You know what practical parental advice is, hey son, look at look at this whole chicken here at the grocery store. It's sixty-nine cents a pound. You can get this whole chicken for three dollars. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass because you got to cut up the chicken into ten thousand pieces. You got to get the legs, the breast, and you know the thighs or whatever. But you know what? You can get the same amount of chicken breast and spend ten dollars. Yes, you don't have to do the work. But if you do this every week, seven dollars a week times fifty-two is three hundred and fifty. Some odd dollars a year times 10 years, that's $3,500. you are going to lose $3,500 um, not cutting up your own chicken because you're lazy? You're going to let someone else do it and charge you, you know, quadruple the price of this whole chicken? Now, I say that, not buying a whole chicken myself, but I was looking at meat the other day, and it just came to me. I'm like, this is what happens with people. This is advice that does not happen uh, with parents to kids, grandparents to kids, for the most part. My brother likes to shop. My brother, I don't believe, learned a lot of shit about couponing until I taught him how to coupon, and now he does it all the time. That's his hobby. That's his habit. It's a good habit to have. Most people drink. He coupons. But it's something that needs to be discussed more. I'm teaching my mom more and more about saving money as she gets older. My mom is 60 years old now. Um, whenever my niece passed away a couple of weeks ago, she was there, and... She said, hey, you know, let's buy lunch for everyone. Let's just go to Pizza Hut and get a bunch of pizzas. And um, we need to go to the store, and we've got to get some Cokes. My mom was a Coca-Cola person. She wanted Coca-Cola, and she said, get some Dr. Peppers and stuff for everyone. We had a fridge in this hotel room, so we are able to stock up pretty good. Um, and then she's like, here's a $100 bill for the pizzas and sodas. And I looked at her and I was like, you kidding me, right? 100 bucks? I was like, yeah, no, I know you're going to need it. Just need it. And I was like, I don't need this. In fact, I'm going to come back with change, and you're going to be freaked out at how much change I had. So it was a Memorial Day sale at the grocery store. And, okay, so a six-pack of bottled soda was $5.99. You can buy three for $7. If I bought two, it would have been $12. But if I bought one extra six-pack of soda, I saved $5. And it was just as much almost, just a dollar more-ish than one six-pack. And I got 12 more sodas out of it that not only lasted beyond us staying in Arizona, I took some home with me. That's $7 right there. Get a case of water. They're running a sale for 32 bottles of water for $1.99. Signed up for the store card in that particular store that they don't have in New Mexico, but they have in Arizona. I got two of those bad boys. That's a, that's that's what $4. That's $11 right there on drinks. We're set for drinks for the next two and a half days. Pizzas, okay, well, yeah, we want... What do we want just pepperoni just pepperoni how much is large pizza 13.99 okay well how about getting two mediums for 5.99 each i think you pizza lovers know what i'm talking about here okay well we're gonna need more than two mediums there's nine of us here let's get four okay four so that's 24 dollars for pizza that was eleven dollars for sodas and for water I gave my mom 66 dollars back it was like 65 and change but i gave her 65 dollars plus back and she's like what what's this She's like your change she's like oh i don't need it i was like i don't need it either and look at how much food we got how much drinks we got and you're gonna give me this hundred and just walk away and not think about it that's 60 bucks that i gave her i looked at it and i was like yeah i can keep it it's my mom and my mom wouldn't care With the way that I coupon, I can probably eat for a month and a half of that. And that's because of the knowledge, skills, and sacrifice that I made as a kid, as a young adult, as a middle-aged person now, as an unemployed person, and as a financial advisor. I've seen the highest of highs for customers and myself, and the lowest of lows for customers and myself. I know what I'm doing. So... Through the course of that horrible weekend with the horrible loss, I was able to teach my mom a lesson in how I operate. Because I haven't lived with my mom in, what, 20 years? <laughs> so she doesn't know how I function as a spender, as a consumer. And she saw what I did there and she she liked it. And I'm really glad that she was able to see that throughout all the stuff that was going on that time. So what I'm getting at after a 34-minute run here. Is a notorious banker wants to incorporate that in this podcast? And I'm going to, so please email any questions you have, any financial advice. Whether it be, I don't want to hear, hey, well, should I get you know a Roth IRA or this? People do that all the time. There are other podcasts to listen to for the nerdy stuff. I am a practical, realist financial advisor. Say, hey, can I afford this TV or what's the best way to to get a car on a budget i have this much money and i have this much income i'm gonna teach you that hey you know what picking up freaking aluminum cans is still a thing donating plasma is still a thing if you can do online surveys you get paid set up freaking google opinion rewards on your phone you'll make a couple of dollars every week a couple dollars may not seem like a lot but you know, put, get a get a nice little five dollar Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Buy yourself some medium coffees two three times a week, and every few weeks or so, you'll get a free coffee. That's just the way that I function. Everything is something. You know, people always talk about like chefs in other countries, and they're like, hey, they they know how to cut up that pig. Nothing goes to waste. They even eat the eyeballs and the snout and the ears, or whatever. And as Americans, we're like, oh, that's gross. How do they do that? But they learned years and years ago that, you know what, everything is something if you want it to be something. And even though you think that there's nothing here, we think that there's plenty here. And that's the way that I look at it with money, okay? I see a dollar. I see opportunity. You know, I see I see a quarter on the ground. I, see, I say, um, hey, five cents more, I get a gallon of water from the water dispenser for my water dispenser at home. And that water dispenser at home is going to give me, you know, 16 eight ounce glasses of water, which is two days of water, just because I bent down and picked up a freaking quarter. That's how I see things. I play every, you know, hey, scratch and win game, play every, hey, no purchase necessary, enter a contest. You might win $1,000. You might win this or that. I've won enough things in my life to understand that, hey, you know what? Most people don't even try. Do it because you might get lucky. Financial advice goes beyond, hey, this bank sucks, and here's why. So the notorious banker in the upcoming podcast, and I'm not going to make it a 37-minute thing like I've talked about with this thing right here, but I'm going to do 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I'm going to talk to one person or multiple people, if I have enough time, about general life advice. I've been inspired by the Ryan Russillo podcast. I was inspired by Susie Orman. And I'm inspired by the conversations I have with my with my wife, with my mom, with other people who talk about money in such a practical way that no one talks about. We don't talk about these things because we're either embarrassed or we don't know how to talk to people about them. Well, I do. The Notorious Banker is here for everything and anything, and I'm going to be here for you for the long haul. So please, if you have any questions, thenotoriousbanker at gmail.com or... James at the notorious banker.com or at bankbetterguy on Twitter. Guys, it's a new day, and, and the notorious banker feels good about the next step. And I got to tell you, I still have two of my piercings for my plasma donations 18 years ago. And anytime I do a physical while donating plasma, they ask me if I have piercings. And yeah, I have my, my nipples pierced still, and I laugh. And I was like, you know, it's a funny story. I got those using you guys to get money so i can do this thing that i would never do for myself i considered it a secondary income i consider donating plasma now a primary source of income because i make time for it and you know what you can make time picking up cans you can make time selling clothes you never use on you know poshmark or ebay even or even the facebook buy and sell pages It's all there. Opportunity is there if you give yourself the time and you put a little effort in for that. The Notorious Banker will push you in the right direction. And it's not because I'm 6'2", 300 pounds and strong and I can push anyone I want whenever I want. It's because I care about you guys. There are thousands of people who listen to this podcast who understand that I'm doing this for the right reasons. Well, this is going to be another right reason. So coming up on the future podcasts that we're going to have... We're going to have a Q&A session about financial advice. I'm going to try to think of a cutesy name for it. And if not, it's just going to be Financial Advice with James, the notorious banker. But we're going to have it, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be in full force starting the next podcast. But thank you so much for your time listening to this. After I come back from this brief promotional break, I'm going to talk to you about an issue that's happening at Bank of America where mortgage bankers are fleeing Bank of America because of some policy changes over there. And guess what? They hit close to home in so many ways, considering we're coming upon the five-year anniversary of me being homeless because of a major bank. So please stick around. Hey, everyone. It's James, the Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on TikTok. That's at banker on TikTok. Yeah, I know it's kind of weird to have a 38-year-old on TikTok, but, you know, I was so inspired by people who share couponing deals on their home and car hacks, among other things. It's a very influential place to be right now and you can get a lot of traction with a lot of people fast. And I really think my brand of humor along with banking news and information and stories about unethical things going on at big banks fits perfectly on TikTok. No, I won't be doing a lot of dancing, but what I will be doing is a lot of information giving to you, the general public, you know, the 67 million people who bank at Bank of America, the 30 million plus at Bank of Wells Fargo, you need to know the stories and you need to know the tea behind what's going on in the banking world so if you join me on tiktok at notorious banker i am going to blow your mind i'm going to try to make you laugh as well but i'm going to keep it informational and i'm going to keep it fun so join me on tiktok today that's at notorious banker all right and we're back with more notorious banker thank you so much for sticking it out with me during that 40 minute rant about financial advice and it's going to be a really important part of this podcast going forward because i want to interact with you and I've, t- I've told you before that i really think interacting with my listeners with my followers is going to be an important part to to grow my project because i can tell you things on my soapbox about big banks i can tell you things in my soapbox about financial advice but it's not until i get one-on-one with you all that i'm going to show you what i'm capable of so um please stick around for future podcasts because it's going to be amazing before I go, I wanted to touch on a subject that just blows my mind, but maybe not so much in the in the grand scheme of things. And it has to do with my former employer, Bank of America. Um, you know, I've talked to you a million times about how I really believe Bank of America is going to thin out their their employee base. They're at two hundred four thousand people now. I really believe uh, a pivot to. 120,000, maybe even 100,000 is going to be in the cards over the course of the next 5 to 10 years because, yes, automation is here, blah, 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 you know, robots taking over the world. I understand that. I'm, I'm a young guy still. I understand that automation is important. In fact, automation is what I use every single day at the grocery store that I mentioned in the last segment. But, you know, there's some things that are just so obvious to me at a place like Bank of America, especially during COVID and now as we head into the world post-COVID, the fact of the matter is banks aren't going to be open in the same way that they were years ago, the way that I started working in a financial center. The way that you buy a house, the way that you buy a car, the way that you open a checking account, the way that you deposit money, and the way that you carry cash, which in the new world is going to be probably never carry cash at all. All this is moving along and changing and people got to deal with it. Well, the notorious banker you know, fights back against the notion that there's some people that are going to be left behind. I'm not going to let them be left behind because some banks say, hey, they're not worthy to bank with us. That's just not what I'm about. But what if I told you that one of the things that I talked about, especially with Bank of America, is coming true and it's being noticed by, by the media. It's being noticed by people who um have insight in a different way than i did even working there for 13 years um a lot of you know that one of the things i rail against is bank of america's home loan department because of the nature of the way the home loan department operates the the method of hey we got to help people with the higher dollar value first because There's incentives to helping these people beyond people in poorer houses and houses that are $100,000 to $150,000, say, you know, and my house was smack dab in the middle of that. You can get a house for under $100,000 in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Try to get a house under $100,000 in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, Seattle, um, Scottsdale. You can't. It's just impossible. There's no way even a hut will be $200,000 in some of those places. It's just The way that it is and that's fine there are people who make enough money there are people who have the means to get that done but that doesn't mean that a bank should pick that person over this other person whenever both of them are asking for help Uh, a good company should say hey let's help both of them and let's figure out a way to do so you want to work we've got to work twice as hard well you know what that's just what we got to do sometimes in order to make smiles appear on the faces of our clients well bank of america that's probably not the case anymore uh Dakin Campbell of Business Insider who um I, I don't know I, I don't follow a lot of his uh, material um, Business Insider is one of those things it's a subscription-based service and I gotta say this you know what read this article I'm gonna link to it in the show notes um journalism journalism is almost like banking in a sense they get monitored on on sell-through was this article good enough to be clicked on and was this article good enough to be read So help Bacon out, help Business Insider out, and take a look at this article. Subscribe to the free trial. Yes, it sucks to have paywalls sometimes, but you know what? That's life. You have to pay for everything. You know, I saw some dude on Facebook a few days ago that says, why should we have to pay to know what's going on in our community? And I'm like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) The newspaper has been around since the printing press, since it's been around for, you know, centuries, and there's some idiot. And I'm going to sound like an old man here, you know, man yells at cloud. But some idiot in his 20s that says, why should I have to pay to know that there was a murder going on next door? Dude, it's news. It's because they're curating something for you to read that you might find entertaining, informative, or something that you need to know. You can't go to a cop at a crime scene and say, hey, what's going on over here? It doesn't work that way anymore. That's not the way life is. So news is a byproduct of, hey, this is all the stuff that you couldn't get to, that we got to for you. So I don't want to hear that shit, okay? So, you know, spend a dollar, look at the free trial, click on this article and read it along with me and read articles of a similar note if there's something that you believe in. And if you listen to this podcast, you believe in the things that I talk about for the most part. The headline is, Bank of America's mortgage bankers are quitting in frustration over call quotas, cross-selling mandates and a new compensation scheme that shortchanges top producers. And I say that with a gigantic smile on my face. Um, Schadenfreude, German word for sour grapes, or shameful joy, I guess is what it is. Um, I feel bad, but at the same time, I don't feel bad because welcome to real Bank of America top producers of the mortgage department. These are the same people that caused my wife and I to be homeless for a week. These are the same people who decided that a $120,000 house in southern New Mexico was not worthy of this person's time or energy. So they ignored our calls, ignored our emails, ignored our documents. And then whenever time came for closing, they're like, oh yeah, we're not ready. We're going to have to extend that date a month. And a 60-day process became a 125-day process. It was the most taxing time of my life, the most stressful time of my life with my wife. And I got to tell you, um, it made me look at my former company in a a horrible light. I threatened to go to the media. I threatened to quit. I threatened to do all these things because what I saw them doing to me is what I saw them do to other customers. But the difference is, and yes, I know this sounds kind of selfish. I didn't see the glaring signs of, hey, they're screwing this person over. Until I knew the processes. And the problem was Bank of America's mortgage bankers, or the mortgage banker that helped my wife um, do an application on a home loan. I won't give her last name, but in my book I will. Her first name is Stephanie. This person named Stephanie decided that, yeah, we were going to give the house to um, James and Gabrielle. We got other fish to fry. We got other big fish to fry and they made a bank manager and someone who his job is management at a university, someone who is as organized as any person that I've ever known make us look like total fucking idiots, and like we didn't know how the hell to fax a paper to email someone back or whatever. We are professionals, and they made us seem like we're idiots, so if this affects that particular person in Chandler, Arizona, oh my goodness, thank you, thank you for for the shit sandwich that's that's happening now so i'm going to read this article i'm going to give you my opinion so there's some bullet points in this business insider thing or says bank of america has lost dozens of salespeople from its mortgage unit dozens isn't a lot dozens isn't hundreds dozens isn't thousands but that's a good number at least to start the exits have come after changes to job responsibilities pay structure and lending standards And then a spokeswoman said attrition levels were normal, and many have asked to be moved into a new sales role. So here we go. It says, Bank of America is facing an exodus in the mortgage business. Dozens of people have quit this year, according to four current and former mortgage bankers, with two of them suggesting their resignations have now climbed above 100. More departures are expected at the end of June, when the bank pays out its next quarterly bonuses. It'll actually be more like july 25th or some shit like that because um they pay quarterly so we're coming up on the end of q2 here june 30th is the last day of q2 you don't get your bonus on july 1st no you got to go through a pa performance assessment you got to go through all this stuff the final satisfaction survey scores have to come in all this bullcrap that's supposed to whittle down your bonus comes in it gets whittled down you get paid one or two paychecks maybe three paychecks after the end of the quarter so they're not going to quit at the end of june they're going to quit more like the end of july the salespeople are leaving because they're frustrated over a series of changes the bank has made to its mortgage policies that have made it harder for some salespeople to make money and increase concerns about corporate surveillance okay well that part we'll get to in a second um then talks about countrywide blah 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 i don't mean to skip on bacon's article here but countrywide is it's 15 years ago it's old news anyone that cites 2008 as a benchmark for why they hate big banks i understand but there's other reasons to not like big banks these days trust me it talks about bank of america fell to 11th nationally in home loans which is 69 billion dollars in home loan originations amid a refinancing tidal wave now this is interesting to me because The way Deacon in the article says that Bank of America fell to 11th nationally implies that there's a race to number one. Trust me when I say there is not a race to number one with Bank of America. They don't think finishing first is finishing best. Finishing 11th nationally with $69 billion can be like a godsend to them depending upon if it's the right $69 billion of customers with home loans. If you get, you know... 690 million customers with a $10,000 loan or a $100,000 loan. I can't do the math in my head that fast. Um, that's not good because those are low-hanging fruit. Those are people that the only bill they have and the only bill they're going to have is a home loan. They're not going to have RV loans or car loans or they're not going to invest or anything. No, they're paycheck to paycheck. They're just getting this little piece of the pie that America says that you should get, which is a home loan. So, finishing 11th means absolutely shit to me and shit to them because 11th nationally just implies that they probably got the people that they want, which was only good enough for 11th nationally spokesperson for bank of america's susan atran It's a name i haven't heard before said that there had been normal attrition at the bank over the past year but didn't cite any figures and yeah i do i do imagine that there are some people who just decided to make a career change during the pandemic that's fine i understand that and i'm perfectly fine with it but you know that's not saying much okay like whenever you get frustrated with your boss whenever you get frustrated at the company there's ways to kind of push you out and call it hey oh he just wanted to leave the company I mean, you're truly speaking right here. Um, you know, and they're talking about, you know, the culture of sales and execution and customer service has been dumbed down. The non-banks are so much more responsive and so much more able to execute on any mortgage. Hyper-efficient non-banks are just killing the banks. And then this was a guy named last name Whalen that was talking, Christopher Whalen. And it says Whalen added that if Bank of America really wanted to be competitive in the mortgage business, it would do more to support its mortgage salespeople. Now they do they do support them. I'm not gonna lie to you and say, Oh, they're horrible to their mortgage salespeople. No, they're not. If you're producing, they're gonna kiss your butt. They're gonna they're gonna make sure that you have the most efficient way to hit your goals. But when I say efficient way, I mean efficient, not like Hey, is there water in the water dispenser? Hey, is there ramen noodles in case we get hungry? Do you guys have snacks? Do you guys got granola bars in case we get hungry and we have to work through lunch? No, efficiency means these are the people you need to target. These aren't the people you should target. Be efficient with these guys. Get some sell-through with these guys. Supporting them means a lot different to me than granola bars and water. The funny thing is Bank of America is their, their definition of support. Is probably a million times different than your definition of support, that's all I gotta say. And it says last year Whalen said he wanted to purchase a new home and went shopping for a mortgage. He called his Bank of America rep and another salesperson at a non-bank lender. The bank scheduled a meeting with him for the following week, while the salesperson at the non bank lender had a pre-approval letter for Whalen the following day. So it doesn't say that the non-bank lender didn't pull his credit. They very well could have pulled his credit, and there's ethical questions that I have there okay did they ask his permission to pull credit were they did they have permission to give this letter to entice him to go with them and then they work out the kinks afterwards there's a lot of griminess with sales that I'm kind of wondering about this Christopher Whalen's experience here now the bank scheduling him a meeting with him for the following week I already can tell you the answer to that. It's because Bank of America punishes bankers and punishes lenders who cannot fill their appointment book. Their job is to fill their appointment book. That way it looks like that they're totally swamped. That way they can focus and research these customers and make sure that they're selling them on the best possible product for the bank and for the customer to a lesser extent. But the whole scheduling of meeting with him was not, oh, they they weren't really trying. No, they're trying, but they're trying in the way that they want to try It's more of the great mediocrity under Brian Moynihan, Whalen said. If you're a producing loan officer and you had a good book of business on the retail side, why on earth would you stay at Bank of America? There's no reason. Okay, and the book of business is something that I've seen when people leave Bank of America. They get, you know, they say, I'm going to put my two weeks notice. They fire them on the spot. They don't let you gather names. They don't let you gather intel to take to your next stop. If you're a smart banker and you know that Bank of America is not your only stop and you don't make that known... You're going to go ahead and start documenting, hey, these are the people who I should call when I get to XYZ Bank or XYZ Company at that point. A producing loan officer, and that's the thing about this that that bugs me, is because a lot of people don't realize, and the next part of this story does talk about it a little bit, that a, a loan officer isn't a guy who opens checking accounts too, isn't a guy that necessarily opens credit cards, who doesn't open up a savings account for your daughter and stuff like that. These are two entirely different jobs. The, the the producing loan officer may be producing in a different way than you think he should be producing or she should be producing uh, because, you know, in my eyes, if someone only has three home loans throughout the quarter at Bank of America, but those three home loans are for $80 million because they're like celebrity houses or whatever, and the other person has 80 houses and it's only like $50 million in home loans. They're like, why are you working so hard to get this much? Why can't you be more like this guy who gets high quality customers and he develops relationships with them? And this person develops long term relationships that are going to provide checking account and second houses and new cars and all that. That's how Bank of America thinks. The mediocrity is one person is not treated equal, not because of the amount of people they help, but it's because of the right people that they help or the wrong people they help. This next, next subject pisses me off, and it's called the Credit Solutions Advisor. That Susan Atran, the Bank of America spokes robot, said that the company aimed to serve its 33 million retail clients efficiently and responsibly and to reward them for the full breadth of the financial relationship they have with the bank. Man, if that doesn't sound like a fucking Bank of America employee, I don't know what does. And then she said this. Let me do my bank voice for this. <clears throat> We do so while managing risk appropriately, providing career growth and development opportunities for our employees, and growing our business responsibly and sustainably. Many banks that originate mortgages have two types of salespeople. Those who work in centralized locations and handle phone, email, and walk-in inquiries and those that are out on the field and meeting with realtors, builders, and other referral sources. I can tell you right now, Bank of America, for the most part, does not have that out in the field thing with realtors and builders. They don't go up to the, the housing development and go, hey, James Baca here. Yeah, um, see you guys are building about 100 properties here. So who's your lender? Let me give you my card. If someone drives through here and they say, hey, they want to get a home in this neighborhood, tell them call old James. Old James will hook them up. Bank of America offers some great rates. And you know what? I'm here all the time. That's my personal cell phone number. And then oh, there's you guys are setting up another subdivision across town? I'll tell you what. I'll make a field trip out there. If you guys have an open house, I'd be glad to set up a table. I'd be glad to answer questions that does not fucking happen at bank of america that does not happen at bank of america in that traditional sense maybe in some humongous city there's like three or four people that do it that way most home loan people and it says the originate mortgages just had two types of sales people the centralized thing is basically what bank of america did for the longest time the person who almost made us homeless was in chandler arizona bank of america has offices in chandler arizona plano texas charlotte uh i believe jacksonville florida or tampa florida i forget and that's pretty much it they don't have offices for mortgages everywhere in all 50 states although bank of america started a new job recently and i am gonna get to that in a second but this this article says bank of america has three types those are assigned to bank brand- branches which make up the largest group and i can tell you the way that um the writer here says that are assigned to bank branches my old job relationship manager did not do home loans the paperwork part of it we did solely referrals those assigned to the wealth management business either maryland or private bank rich people and a much smaller group of people who work in the field and act more like independent bankers again like i said bank of america doesn't really think about those people they don't really have those people that much the bank branches think the largest group That's all referral-based, where it's like, hey, Mr. Jones, can I get your name and number? I'm going to give it to Derek in Arizona, and Derek in Arizona is going to walk you through what you need to do. I had no part in that. That doesn't mean I didn't know what I was talking about when it came to anything with um, home loans and banking and stuff like that, because I taught myself. The bank didn't teach me. I taught myself. It says, last year, the bank began moving its branch-based mortgage salespeople into a new role, requiring them to handle auto and credit card loans in addition to mortgages. The new role has come with a new title, Credit Solutions Advisor. That sounds like a Bank of America title. It's called a CSA. So, as a relationship manager, I did do auto loans, do auto loan applications. I did do credit cards. So basically, it's the same job that I had, except the fact that they do mortgages in-house now. But this isn't in every single bank. This is usually in big cities or high-value areas. So this person is basically here just to land credit for rich people. That's the, that's the name of the game with this particular job. It's not to open up little old ladies' a second savings account or to open up juniors' uh, college account. No, it's not. It's to handle people with deep relationships to make them deeper. And this next paragraph is the one that makes me chuckle because, you know what, you know, schadenfreude, sour grapes aside, I feel bad for these poor souls who are going to get screwed out of a lot of money, but, you know, that's Bank of America for you. It also comes with a new compensation structure, moving these employees to a salary and quarterly bonus structure from a monthly commission. The bank provided data suggesting that for some people it might end up being more lucrative. (laughs) But the four people Insiders spoke with said they quickly realized it would mean less money over time for them and others. Did they hire someone from Herbalife or some sort of like Amway or multi-level marketing thing to say that, hey, if you work hard, you might make more money. You know, you invite all your friends, all your family to this Tupperware party and you can sell to them. And anytime they need more Tupperware, they'll go to you. <laughs> it sounds like that. I can't believe that I'm saying that and seeing that Bank of America makes me laugh. So here's the thing, okay? I was a salary and quarterly bonus structure. I had that my whole career at Bank of America. It sucks. It's not cool. The monthly commission thing, I didn't really get to know the bonus structures with um, home loan um, officers, MLOs, as I call them, um, I didn't really see that because they, they block certain things from the internet over there. But I can tell you that whenever I would talk to my mortgage officers who were helping my customers, and they would give them the same BS. Oh, I was out of the office. I, you know We had a business meeting until 10 a.m. So I'm sorry I didn't get your email. I would go to their um, user history on my system and see were they working during this time that they claimed that they were in a meeting and I would see that they were actually bringing up other customers and doing other things with them. They weren't face to face with customers but they were talking to other people on the phone trying to land more applications and more sales. They were ignoring my customers and I saw that firsthand and I reported it many times and I probably got myself in trouble a lot um, doing that but the fact of the matter was I used to hear the lies. I grew up with a bunch of liars in my life. I could tell you when someone is lying to my face and lying to me over the phone or whatever. It's it's part of the nature of being a salesperson. It's part of the nature of just being a, an attentive person. But it was really bad. And I knew that they were always looking for big fish because if they got a million dollar house, they get a bigger commission than a $100,000 house. But this quarterly bonus structure and salary thing is interesting because that means that this person got a flat fee And I'm going to throw the number out there, $25 an hour. The quarterly bonus structure, for me, the minimum was $1,100. And I can earn more if I got 120, 130, 140% of my goal. And if my customer satisfaction surveys were above an X amount of score... We didn't have any audit findings so even if a a a brand new teller made a mistake on their teller drawer i got impacted for that even though my job had nothing to do with their job i lose money because of that it was a way to kind of just it's like the mafia they took their share of your bonus and they gave you not what you earned, and that sucks that i feel bad for them the bank saying that it might be more lucrative yeah for some for some people the people who weren't in those offices it's going to be more lucrative for them because they have more incentive to work harder for the people within their branch but the people who are sitting there at the phone just randomly taking calls knowing that they're only going to get a flat amount and i don't know what the amount is but let's just say it's two thousand dollars they can get eight million dollars of loans booked and they're going to get two thousand dollars they can get one million dollars of loans booked and get two thousand dollars that sucks and that's not fun for them they lose out on thousands of dollars And there are people who relied on their bonuses. There are people who lived and died by those bonuses. Um, And I could tell driving by the Chandler Home Loan Center, there are people with nice-ass cars over there. I didn't have a nice car. I have a Jeep Liberty from 15 years ago. And I know that those people rely on those huge checks. That's why they've worked hard. And whenever you had a good salesperson or a pinnacle club like Stephanie, our mortgage officer, who was in the top 1% of the whole company on sales, you don't get the top 1% of, of sales by selling the most people. It's by selling the right people. So the next paragraph just basically spells out what I've told you right there. It says, Bank of America now ties the bonus more closely to the performance of the branch where the CSAs are assigned. The idea is that the CSAs get a benefit from internal referrals that come through the branch and therefore shouldn't get paid hefty commissions for loans they didn't source themselves. And that's lazy. I know managers who used to source referrals for tellers to prop up their tellers. That way the managers can get a bigger bonus. So there can very well be some tellers who just never offered that. To a customer the manager goes hey wait mr jones um I, I know you were talking about buying a house are you still talking about that let me get you to james go and have a seat and then they go to the teller hey put in mr jones put in referral to see james as soon as possible and then james gets a uh, notice computer saying hey mr jones is here to to do a home loan pre-approval as soon as possible i check that person in and all of a sudden you know hey i got a home loan yeah yeah but the teller helped you the fucking teller didn't help me do anything. The manager did that. That way they can help their bonus and not get yelled at about their tellers underperforming. So all of a sudden, the thought was the internal referrals that come to the branch are a good source because you are all working as a team. Bullshit. Most of the home loans I got were not sourced from the tellers. And I loved every single one of my tellers. They were great people to work with. And I wish I could work with them again in some capacity. But they did not do that. I did that. And I didn't even get commission-based stuff. I got a flat quarterly bonus like these assholes are getting now. The internal thing is a lazy way of just finding a way to screw people out of money. Fact of the matter. It says, many salespeople didn't like the uncertainty of commissions and preferred the more stable compensation structure. Um, yeah, some people like a flat fee. Like, most people like that. I mean, isn't that the whole basis of game shows? It's like, hey, you can go and try for a million dollars or you could take what's in door number one. Or you can leave right now with this, $32,000, and if you miss this question, you get to walk away with $32,000. But if you get the next question right, and then you get the next question wrong, then you'll drop to $32,000. You'll lose money. That's, That's life. Some people just prefer to be slow and steady wins the race. You can't control that. It says, according to a testimonial collected from a training session and provided by Bank of America, One CSA in New England said that they liked being the single point of contact to be able to sell a host of financial products. (laughs) I'm sure that that wasn't a plant. Like in wrestling where they have the crazy old lady yelling at the wrestler that the wrestler hits in the head with a chair. Yeah, that, that, that was all organic, right? No, that was a plant. And this is what the spokesperson says. When we began piloting the new Credit Solutions Advisor two years ago in response to our clients' needs, nearly 1,000 employees raised their hands to opt-in, causing us to speed up the pilot. Yeah, sure, because you twisted the words to make it sound like you were giving them more money when you are giving them less. In some corners of the bank's mortgage business, particularly among the wealth management salespeople and the self-source people who work in the field, the changes were met with derision. Few people made the change and some people began to look for opportunities outside the bank. Salespeople who think about their business as an entrepreneur running a small business subjected to the changes to the people said. And that's the thing. That's the lie that Bank of America sells you on. You have your own book of business. You have your own clients. They'll be loyal to you. They'll come back to you for more. Yeah, no, if you if you have a fucking head cold and someone is taking your spot or someone is handling all of your appointments that day, that's going to be that customer now. It's like, oh, we couldn't lose him, James. We didn't want him to walk out and go to the Citibank or Chase Bank. So, you know, he was here, and he got on the phone with your, your co-worker, and we got the, you know, it's we're all a team. And we got the application. You should be happy that the customer got the help that they needed. Yeah, fucking right. Yeah. Because, you know what, they told you that you were you were going to source your own business and you are going to make as much money as possible, and now you're not. It says they often can bring in bigger loans because of their relationships, and as a result, they prefer an arrangement where they get pay, paid based on their production. And some people are great at it. I'm pretty sure the Stephanie person that nearly made us homeless was an amazing person at that. You don't get to be top 1% by um, sitting on your hands. I'm sure she was good at selling rich people the dream. Well, you know what? We weren't rich people, and then she sold us the dream, and she decided she didn't want to help with the dream anymore. That's just the way that it is. Last year during the pandemic, according to people who spoke with Insider, Bank of America took steps to make sure its loan products, le- to make sure let me say that again bank of america took steps to make its loan products less competitive with the rest of the industry raising rates and down payment requirements this is right around the time of the one billion dollars to help um people of color and income inequality and to get into houses and stuff like that the rates went up at bank of america and it's frustrating to me Bank of America raised rates by as much as one percentage point over what some competitors were offering to the people said. It also basically shut down price exceptions when it matches a competing offer for a lower rate. That almost never happened. If that happened, that only happened to very rich people because I never saw that happen once in 13 years of Bank of America. To be fair, Wells Fargo took similar steps and that's reported in here. Um, and it says Bank of America um, employees griped after Merrill Lynch's wealth management staff um, griped because the company instituted a rule that pricing exceptions would be allowed if the customer had 500000 or more at Bank of America. So basically, they were helping people match offers based on how much money that customer had with the bank, meaning that, hey, we don't want to lose this guy's big deposit. So we're going to give him what he wants here. Yeah, we're going to take a loss, but this person might have more later on. The bank also raised down payment thresholds requiring 30% for any loans above $1 million and 40% for loans above $2 million. Dude, my house is 10% of $1 million. It's 5% of $2 million. We did 3% down and we are stupid for doing that, but we still wanted to get into a house. But the fact that they were requiring those things, it was more of along the lines of We don't think these people are going to be able to afford this house in due time. They do their research. They type in their numbers on their computer and they go, you know what? We don't feel comfortable doing this loan. So we kind of want to be in the business of this rich person. So we're going to try to say, hey, give us this amount of money down and we'll give you this great rate. You're buying the rate down, so to speak. And they sold it on, hey, rich people, you guys can do it. We know you can do it. We're your bankers. We believe you can do it. And it said, um, the people Insider spoke with said they didn't know why Bank of America raised its rates to down payment requirements, but surmised that it was simply because the bank wanted to slow down mortgage lending. And I agree with that. I think that they wanted to curtail people in the middle of their pack. And I think the middle of their pack is the million dollar houses. I really believe that. We're at the low, butt crack end of the pack at a $100,000 home. I saw a house like Ellen's house or something, Ellen DeGeneres, go for like $40 million that's not real 40 million dollars that's dude that's what that's 400 of my houses <laughs> like I, I mean it 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 pisses me off whenever you see those things in in the news and you don't realize that banks finance those things and they're probably hanging up on someone who was more earnest and needing a house asap it's just the way that it is and it sucks says, with the coronavirus pandemic raging, many people confined to their homes. Millions of borrowers lost the income required to pay back their loans. And it says, Bank of America set aside more loan, money for loan losses and took a cautious approach. And I, underst- I understood that. Um, the mortgage business is overseen by Steve Bolin. I've talked to the gentleman once. He's an okay guy to talk to. But you know what? Um, He's in a business that you, you got to be you know in with the devil to, to be a part of. I just got to say it that way. Um, And, you know, he's been at B of A since 1997. In November, Boland's mortgage execs assigned a recorded line to every salesperson and directed them to use exclusively for business-related calls. Now, this bugs the shit out of me. Execs assigned recorded line to every salesperson directed them to use exclusively for business related calls. Salespeople are required to make at least nine calls each week on that recorded line. A recent change dictated that the salesperson had to make as many calls as new customers they picked up that week. Recent change dictated that the salesperson had to make as many calls as new customers they picked up that week. You see they had fifteen new customers you gotta get fifteen calls out to get double. That's just the way that it is. It says everyone working remotely, everyone's doing telesales. The thing they fail to realize is many of us have our own personal cells and I had them for many years. Now, I don't want to get into a humongous rant here about ethics and stuff like that. Yes, you know what, you should do business purposes only on a business phone. Yeah, I understand that. I'm not. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But you know what? There's always ways around that. And there was friends from back home in Socorro that would live in Las Cruces. And i text them and say, hey, come open an account with me. And then i look like a, like a hero in front of my boss because they opened an account for their friend James. And there was times when I couldn't get a hold of so-and-so customer on my phone because they didn't want to answer an unknown caller thing. So I would text them and say, hey, Mr. Johnson, it's James at Bank of America. I was just trying to call you. Can you give me a call back? No, Bank of America now has recorded lines. And that's part of every telesales, telemarketing thing. I understand that this call may be monitored for, you know, sales purposes or service purposes and training purposes. Yeah, those things happen, and I understand that. But they want to be Big Brother. They want to make sure that not only are you selling the product in the scripted way that they are telling you to, but you're actually selling the product to the people that they want you to sell it to. They're gonna say, "Oh, you talked to Larry Smith. Talked to him for 35 minutes. What's that about, James? God, give me a break. You gotta cut it short." And he only has three thousand with us? And he doesn't have any pre-approved offers for a home loan? Do you really think Larry Smith's gonna get this approved? I still gotta I still gotta talk to him like every customer. Yeah, but James, you gotta be realistic. You only have so many hours in the day. Larry Smith's probably not going to get the home loan. Meanwhile, you let this customer go, and this person has 10 pre selected offers, credit cards, auto loans, home loans, and you didn't call them back. Well, no, they didn't answer. Well, try to call them back later. We want to see that you're working hard to get these customers. I know what it's all about, okay? I know that that's what they're telling these poor people, and I feel bad for the employees there because I don't want Big Brother to be watching over me while I'm doing the way, doing the business the way that I do it. I was number one in sales, and I never had to do that. We did outbound calls on Tuesday nights, and I've told you this story before. The people that I call, or the people they wanted me to call, were people that I knew personally. They were going to come to us no matter what, so to call them during dinner and bug them about, hey, why don't you come in tomorrow, that's just going to make them want to leave. Trust me, I would never go to a place that did that to me. So uh, most people who know me know that I have two or three burner cell phones, At all times, I used to have it for photo taking purposes or, you know, other purposes for coupons on apps and whatnot. Um, I would literally take these burner phones with me to work and I'd outbound call the burner phones and I would never pick up on my own burner phone and I'd leave a message saying, hey... Miss Johnson, this is James calling from Bank of America. I just wanted to follow up with you. If you can give me a call back at every code 575. I literally did that. I made calls to myself to hit my quota. That way I can get the hell out of there. Because I would be there till 7.30, 8 at night. And that would mess up with my time. I would lose lunches. I would lose the opportunity to get more sales. I thought it was a scheme to screw me out of sales by just having me on the phones. How can I be on the phone with someone when in order to do anything I had to have them in person? What the hell was the point of that? I know what we're talking about here is a lot of um, centralized people. But this new credit solution advisor thing is a total fucking joke at Bank of America. It's a way to screw um, these people out of money, screw these employees out of money. And I'm going to end with this, okay? Because we could talk about the recorded lines and all this other stuff and the the flat bonus structure as opposed to commissions and stuff like that. What's the one thing I said whenever Bank of America raised their minimum wage to 20 an hour? Now it's going to be 25 in a few years. I said, don't expect 100,000 people to get fired as a result of that. Expect people to leave the way the Bank of America loses people all the time. They lose people all the time. I've had hundreds of coworkers over my 13-year career over there. But then they're going to replace them at a flat $25 an hour. I was damn near branch manager making almost 25 an hour. A teller's going to make 25 an hour? No, tellers aren't going to exist in that way. That teller is going to leave, and that's going to be replaced with a, a solutions advisor, an account opener, for $25 an hour. And that person is going to have a goal, and that person is going to have their feet to the fire on that goal. These salespeople that come in who got $10,000, $20,000 quarterly commissions on amazing houses that they booked uh, for Bank of America home loans because of their relationships, and now they say, well, ten dollars to $20,000, that's too much um, we're going to give you an increase in pay. We're going to give you, you know, X amount of dollars more per hour. Um, and then we're going to have a flat structure where at the minimum you're going to make $3,000. But if you hit 150%, you're going to make $6,000. And the bank knows that 99.9% of people aren't going to hit that 150%. So they're going to save money by not paying out these bonuses. And then these people that are in there I'm going to say, Fuck this. I made 100000 a year before. Now I'm going to make half that. I quit. Okay, well, Stephanie, we're going to rehire someone to replace Stephanie now. Hey, let's bring in Bob. Hey, Bob, how would you like to sell mortgages for Bank of America? And we have this awesome bonus structure. It's a structure that that person's never seen before, so they didn't know that a better one existed. Oh, and Bob's asked, well, what's the pay again? Well, we have a starting pay of $25 an hour. That sounds like a good start. But for people who worked at Bank of America for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, To get to 25 an hour was hard work. Trust me, I did that myself. That was a stretch to them, and to see someone walk in brand new to get the same amount of money felt like a slap in the face. Bob isn't going to think that way. He's going to think, man, a brand new job, and I'm making 50 grand a year right off the bat, and all I got to do is sell mortgages? Sign me up. And that's your new Bank of America Credit Solutions advisor, my friends that'll do it for this podcast i talked way too fucking much on this podcast my name is james the notorious banker james at the or thenotoriousbanker notorious banker at gmail.com uh and send some questions over for the the financial advice segments that we're going to start airing as of the next podcast thank you so very much for everything the voicemail lines 575-322-4127 patreon.com slash notorious banker the banker dude for cash app or venmo Contributing to the Notorious Banker Project will allow me to contribute to kids in southern New Mexico and feeding them breakfast. The summer cereal stimulus uh, for the Notorious Banker is on, and I will be donating those uh, boxes of cereal uh, to the food bank um, in a couple of days. Thank you so much for your contributions for that. Thank you uh, to Dagan Campbell for the awesome article in Bloomberg. Link to in the show notes. Subscribe to Business Insider for the trial. Check it out. Take a look. Click on some things. Let journalists um, be able to work hard to provide the content that allows the notorious banker to thrive, and that entertains and informs you as well. So please do that. Um, of course, you can listen to my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. Thank you so much for that, and please, please, please continue to listen. Things are only going to get more awesome as time goes on. I wanted to talk about the financial advising today, and I wanted to talk about this story because it is really, really important to me. So thank you so much for listening to this very, very long podcast of The Notorious Banker. I will be back with another one in a few days. Um, But until we meet again, my friends, my name is James The Notorious Banker signing off. Thank you once again for everything that you do to support yours truly. You have a great day.